What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent. I stands for using your intuition. N stands for networking. And K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Welcome, welcome. I'm so glad you're all listening in today, which is August 1st, 2018. You all know that I'm rarely speechless, but our guest today, I cannot believe all the things that he has accomplished, and he's still very young. (laughs) Dr. Christopher (laughs) Metzler will be talking about U.S. opiate epidemics in the United States. And just to give you a little background on him, like I said, it goes on forever. He was educated at the University of Oxford in Oxford, England, and Columbia University. And he obtained a Ph.D. in international legal philosophy from the University of Aberdeen. A former faculty member at Cornell University, he stood as Senior Associate Dean of Applied Management degrees at Georgetown University as well. I'm going to let him talk about what his passions are now. Um, He is just about wrapping up the uh, writing of a book called Divided We Stand, The Quest for America's Soul. So welcome, welcome. Thank you, my pleasure. It's great to be with you. I'd like to start my show out by asking you, how did you get on the path that you're on today? Uh, You know, obviously it started way back during your education um, days, but what was the driving force behind all of this? Well, um, when I obtained um, my PhD, my PhD is in international legal philosophy and health sciences. Um, It is a rare PhD, um, really looking at the connection between law and healthcare. And in my everyday business, I own a number of medical. I've always wanted to look at how could we legally provide treatments for people that are more holistic and natural based in my view and based on, you know, what I see every day, 
in this arena, um, it oftentimes is not the disease that kills people. It's the medication that they're prescribed and the side effects. And I just thought, well, you know, we really need to look at how we can do this, obviously, safely, but treating the whole person. Mm-hmm. In my experience, what I found as, as you know, someone uh, on the legal side in, in the healthcare space, what I found was that, in fact, too many physicians were treating the symptoms and mm-hmm. not the cause, and that concerned me greatly. Mm. Very wise man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm in full agreement with that. Absolutely. Oh, yes. So, um, you know, we're all aware that the opiate epidemic is getting out of control in the United States. What are your thoughts on that? Well, there are a couple of things. Um, One, I really believe that, and again, you know, I own um, a pharmacy, and Mm -hmm. I deal a lot with insurance companies and what I find is that oftentimes insurance companies are so in terms of what they reimburse for example you go to the doctor and the doctor prescribes you a particular medication Um, that medication may be may cost you six hundred dollars probably then you go to the pharmacy and the insurance companies will pay the pharmacy maybe $10 um, on that particular drug. With the opioid crisis, what has happened is that insurance companies really, really are not stemming the flow of over-prescription of addictive uh, drugs. They simply are not. The way that the opioid thing generally starts is, say one is involved in a car accident. As a result of that car accident, they're in pain. The doctor then prescribes to them medication for pain because it generally starts with pain. And I'm talking about the legal prescriptions here. It generally starts um, with pain. But then the person becomes addicted because of the drug and its content. And the insurance companies, rather than just kind of, and the physicians, rather than just deal with the issue of pain and be strict about that, they keep prescribing, they keep allowing for reimbursement of a number of these addictive drugs. That's where the problem begins. Mm-hmm. And so once people become so addicted, so you've got the doctors now prescribing it because, you know, the reality is as much as, you know, physicians will deny this, um, there still is pay for play in the physician space. And I'm talking about that from experience where the drug companies may provide incentives to the physicians 
for prescribing particular drugs, opioids being among those. And so that really is the problem because they, you know, while they won't pay them cash directly, it may be something like, we'll send your family on a cruise for seven days or something along those lines. And as much as people say, well, that doesn't happen, it does. I see it happening. Um, There is that as well. Yeah. Well, I know that um, in the U.S. they set up pain management centers for the dispensary of these drugs so that a lot of the prescriptions um, cannot come from, uh, you know, other practices. I wonder how that's working out. Yeah. Well, here's the problem with that. The problem with that is because through the Stark Law and a couple of other laws, um, the physician is not supposed to be uh, to get particular payments or kickbacks relative to that. So the physicians don't do that directly. What sometimes happens is you still have some physicians who will use marketers. The marketers um, will pay them, uh, they will pay uh, the marketers a certain amount of money for a prescription. And so pain management clinic, um, however, there isn't enough oversight in terms of how prescriptions flow into the pain management clinic. I'm not sure that that's the, the, the solution. I think there has to be a working relationship between physicians, pharmacies, and regulatory agencies around how to best address the situation. Um, And some physicians will say, well, you know, the thing about it is I am losing money in my practice and I have to find an alternative. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, okay, but the alternative should not be getting people further hooked on drugs. That's Mm -hmm. not an alternative. Yeah, it's true. No, I I know through personal experience, a couple of my son's friends when they were in high school uh-huh. were getting were getting access, access to um, opium drugs, and um, yeah. it was kind of astounding how they even were managing it. But you know, let's just say two out of five became addicted, yeah. and it, it and remains I, a yeah. lifelong uh, issue. However. Um, the third one, he actually died. Um, and yeah. it wasn't through high school. It was through um, getting addicted from, you know, uh, a disease yeah. that would have pain associated with it. He just and overdosed. Exactly. That, yeah. mm-hmm. And that's the thing. And there is not enough oversight, in my view, of the pain management clinic. It is, I think... Um, a band-aid on a situation that politicians don't want to fix. And here's why they don't want to fix it. Um, Because we have to remember that a number of the politicians um, get into office with support from big pharma. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's that issue to be looked at as well. You know, physicians are very smart people. And yes. for them to say that they have a difficult time solving the opioid crisis makes absolutely no sense to me mm-hmm. um, because they every day conduct procedures that are much more difficult. And so I think that has to be examined in great detail. Mm-hmm. Is your, um, uh, well, let's put it this way, um, are you working toward um, a solution with specific yes. groups in mind? Yes. And so I am now trying to convene and will hopefully um, short, fairly shortly convene uh, some physicians, uh, pharmacists, other people, and, and not just them, but also parents, of kids who are affected Mm -hmm. uh, by opioids. I am going to do that as well as community members to try to get to what the bottom line is and then to work collectively on how Mm -hmm. to address it. I think it's great that there is a national um, commission Mm -hmm. on this issue. However, um, coming up with a national Commission doesn't really help at the local levels because mm-hmm. each local community is so different. What, the, what they need from anyone national is really tools um, and best practices, and then from those they can adjust to what works in their particular mm-hmm. community. And the crisis affects all communities, and it's not it just does. the person who is addicted. It is their entire family who mm-hmm. is affected by that. And oftentimes I think we leave that out of the discussion. Oh, you're so right about that. It's really yeah, a tragedy. Yeah, I see that all the time. Yeah, it is. It is. So what is your stance on health care overall at this, at this point in time because it is a, a national discussion and it has been going on for mm-hmm. quite a few years. Uh, I don't, I really haven't seen anything um, that's taking us forward. We seem to be stuck right, right. now. Yeah, and we're stuck um, because while people know that it's an issue that needs to be dealt with, there's mm-hmm. too much noise in the area. There are too many people who are unnecessarily influencing the, the debate. Mm-hmm. One of the things I think is on the issue of health care, we really need to have voices at the table, all voices at the table. Mm-hmm. But it seems as if we have forgotten that with health care, the issue is not about patient number 252, the issue is about a human being, and yes. the issue is about how uh, people who are affected uh, by a lack of coverage or any of those things really, really, really need to be cared for. 
at the end of the day, we have to get back to caring for the whole person. Mm-hmm. There are difficult political issues. There are people who look at this issue very differently. Um, but it is all of those voices that are important. I don't think it needs to be um, something that is overly burdensome. I don't think that it needs to be overly regulated. I think it's very important for people to be able to have choice uh, because as we look at healthcare, the state of healthcare has changed considerably. Mm-hmm. A number of people are dropping um, their coverage of healthcare and only focusing on catastrophic uh, coverage. And for, for, you know, everyday illnesses, they will simply visit the urgent care. Um, That's very Because true. it is yeah. cheaper, it is more efficient. I, mm-hmm. So, I, you know, the question becomes, is that one of the models we want to look at? How effective mm-hmm. is that is? Is that we really need to look up and look at that because I think we can't keep um, using the healthcare system that we have right now. Um, yeah, such it's as not it sustainable. Is. It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. But but Mm-mm. by the same token, we can't push the cost of a very expensive healthcare system down to future generations. Um, mm-hmm. That becomes the issue here is we have to look at what is sustainable. And the, we also have to rethink the whole issue of insurance. Um, should insurance be primarily in the catastrophic uh, category with the urgent care? We have to look at all of those kinds of things because mm-hmm. a number of people are making a decision to go that way anyway. But we need to think about whether that is viable and or sustainable in the long run. I mean, I personally know people that when they've become ill, and I mean in incredible pain, they don't go mm-hmm. at all because they right. understand that if they go to an emergency room, their bill is going to be in the thousands yeah. of dollars and they don't oh, have absolutely. the money to pay it. So no. they tough it out. No. Yeah. And and that goes back to my point about, you know, human beings in, instead of numbers. They mm-hmm. tough it out, and then it oftentimes end up, ends up later on in their lives um, mm-hmm. with things that could that are unavoidable and could have been tra- treated. But the mm-hmm. emergency room cost, I mean, the simple cost of ambulance services, I mean, those things are just not within reach. So it's so true. I have friends that very, drive that drive their friends to the emergency room yeah. because they yeah, know because, that the ambulance is going to be so prohibitively expensive and they can't do it. Right. They cannot do it. And so, you know, healthcare is, in fact, a national security um, issue. Do we want to have um, and really uh, have a nation that is a, a nation that's not well. Mm-hmm. What does that do relative to productivity? Um, 
how does that affect our economic survival? All of those kinds of things. Do we want to let um, you know the market decide, uh, so to speak? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. What do we want to do? Um, and we really, I think this is something we have to solve um, sooner rather than later. And again, I don't believe in an intrusive governmental solution because I think what has to happen is the people who this affects have to be in on the conversation. You know, we can't just come up with some academic solutions to healthcare, overly bureaucratic, and and people are like, I can't access that. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things that I do in one of my businesses is I've taken a RV and turned it into a traveling doctor's office. So we would go to rural areas or other areas in which people have no transportation and healthcare services are very, very limited. And we'll say, okay, so on Monday and Wednesday, the mm-hmm. doctor will be here. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of colleagues say to me, well, you know, that's not a big money-making um, position. Well, no, it may not be. However, it's important from my standpoint uh, to make sure that we have a healthy population because in a number of cases, some of those people may end up working in one of our businesses in some capacity, and mm-hmm. I'd prefer that they be healthier than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's those kinds of things I, I tend to look at from the standpoint of my vision of healthcare. Well, there's some very deep-seated issues uh, no yes. doubt. And, you know, yes. one that I always tend to look at is the FDA because, mm-hmm. you know, if we if we take a few steps back on what we were discussing earlier about holistic and natural treatments to really um, solve the, uh, the actual disease and not, you know, put people on yeah. medication for their symptoms only, uh, it yeah. appears these days that the FDA is... is uh, on a quest to make those sorts of treatments very limited. Yeah. And that is unfortunate because, yeah, the the, the FDA is one of the biggest obstacles um, relative to that. They say that it's because they're concerned about the safety and efficacy of the medications yet they have the labs through both the FDA and the National Institute of Health mm-hmm. to test for that. Mm-hmm. So I don't buy that argument. I think rather than solve issues, the FDA has become an organization that simply puts barriers in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think what we have to do is to find out why is that, who supports the FDA, um, how does that work, who are the board members. I think we need to look at all of that to find what the motivation is because the president has signed the right to try bill. Um, The question 
bill now becomes, will the FDA um, put in place regulations that will get in the way and make that bill oh. um, obsolete? That's a oh, huge dear. question. Oh, that's new to me. I, I didn't even think yeah, about because, that. Yeah, because see, oftentimes what happens is, you know, the president will sign an executive order or will sign a bill mm-hmm. into law, but then it, it's left to the agencies with jurisdiction uh, to fill out the details. And so mm-hmm. there's a comment period, there's all of that. Um, and so the question becomes, will they get in the way? And that's something that I think all Americans need to be uh, vigilant mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Good information. Well, thank you. Let's talk about uh, something else that's come up in um, the news quite often, and that is the uh, the cannabis, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the political, the cultural, and the legal aspects of it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I am on the board of a company called Melix, M-E-L-I-X, and what we are doing, we have created a DNA test. The purpose of the DNA test is to tell you, first of all, how does your body react to cannabis based on 37 genetic markers? Um, secondly, if your body reacts positively to cannabis, then what is the best strain of cannabis uh, to be prescribed based, again, on the 37 Mm -hmm. genetic markers. We are now in phase two of clinical trials on this study. Um, We're working with UCLA, with Duke, and with uh, the Thomas Jefferson School of Medicine, where I am also a senior fellow. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to figure out is what is the science behind cannabis? We have evidence um, that, in fact, cannabis properly cultivated, and, and, and let me say some more about what I mean by properly cultivated. When you have a field in which you grow cannabis, what are the soil conditions? Mm. What's the groundwater conditions? Uh, Is it the most ideal place to do it? Mm -hmm. Do you use pesticides? Those are the kinds of things that need to happen for properly cultivated cannabis. Now, of course, cannabis has a very negative connotation because people for so long have the stereotype, well, it's just a bunch of people um, getting high. Well, what we found thus far in our preliminary research and in phase one is that, in fact, um, what happens with, with cannabis is we look at issues of how does it treat pain? Um, what's the relationship between cannabis and ending the opioid uh, crisis, 
those two are top of mind now. There are a number of other benefits such as anxiety, such as mm-hmm. um, PTSD, those kinds of things mm-hmm. that are right for scientific study. So those are there. The problem becomes the patchwork of laws across the, the country, um, <clears throat> which is not, excuse me, which is not a problem in the sense that states should have the right to regulate cannabis, whether it's medicinal or recreational, however they see it. No issue there. The issue, however, is how does the federal government see it? So um, because cannabis cannabis is a Schedule I drug, meaning that, in fact, the Department of Justice has regulatory um, you know, authority over that. They can, in fact, go in and say, okay, we don't care what the state says. Um, we're prosecuting you for X, Y, Z. Um, there have been no prosecutions, and I don't foresee there being any prosecutions because then that, you know, infringes on states as defined by the 10th, Amendment to the Constitution. Um, But that is an added obstacle. Now, there is some legislation pending. The Senate Majority Leader um, has introduced some legislation relative to regulating some forms of cannabis as um, essentially agricultural products. And so Mm. the rules would be the same. The FDA approved recently um, for clinical trials um, and then a drug, uh, cannabis-infused treatment for epilepsy. So there is some movement. It is slow, but there is some. The, mm-hmm. the, what's really getting in the way of the scientific research is the perception of cannabis as this addictive drug that causes you to go in and rob people's houses and that kind of stuff. So that Mm. perception is getting in the way. And then from a research standpoint, there's some very delicate questions. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, if you're conducting a research study on cannabis, you can do that so long as you use the cannabis that's grown by the United States government um, for purposes of that study. The problem is essentially that cannabis is not high-grade cannabis. Um, And so you can use that cannabis. The question is, what's the scientific value of that? Uh And, you know, our... Research will come, will we'll find answers to that question. You know, we are doing this primarily from a scientific mm-hmm. standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and because there is science behind it, cannabis, you know, after all, is a plant, it is native, mm-hmm. it is natural. But the cultivation is one of the issues that I don't think the industry has paid enough attention to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, 
uh, here in California, there's all kinds of stores that are set up now where they're selling it. My question to you is, where's it all coming from? Oh, well, I have a couple of concerns about a lot of those stores that are opened in California. First Mm -hmm. of all, a lot of where it's coming from is people are trying to get on the bandwagon of what they see as a burgeoning market. That's mm-hmm. number one. Um, number two, a lot of those stores simply are not set up to do what they need to do. And by that I mean you have people in there who are, you go in and you say, I have pain. And the person mm-hmm. says, yeah, okay. Um, and then you say, well, I'm trying X, Y, Z. You say, no, 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 no. That's not going to work for pain. I tried X, and it worked. Well, no. <laughs> That's not mm-hmm. how this is supposed to work. I don't really care what you tried. See, what's happening in California is a problem in the sense that in California, on every, just about every corner, there's some sort of a shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and... This proliferation of shops is going to, I fear, end up in overregulation of the industry. Um, and the qualifications of the people who are working in those shops, what's the quality of the product? We don't know that. We don't mm-hmm. know any of that stuff. What we know is it is, you know, pardon the pun, it's like the Wild Wild West here. Mm-hmm, relative to cannabis mm-hmm. in California. And that mm-hmm. is not helpful, um, particularly from a medicinal standpoint. A lot of the people who are working in these shops have no idea as to what the medicinal value is. Um, they have no idea as to, they have no kind of medical training whatsoever. They may have a few courses or something, if that, mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. have taken. And I think ultimately um, that's problematic. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I've studied it's, that. It seems to be whenever there's a good thing, there's always a very mm-hmm. small uh, uh, group that ruin it for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, it doesn't and that's matter exactly what it is. Happening. Uh, yeah, and that's exactly what's happening. I mean, we I will be rolling out fairly soon um, a tour, and I did uh, phase one of that tour a couple months ago in L.A. Um, it's called The Politics of Cannabis, and what it is is an update on the latest laws. Mm-hmm. It's an update on the latest science, all of those kinds of things. So I'll be rolling that out soon that's good yeah i want to try to get make sure that what happens is that people have the information what i try to do in everything that i do is to provide the information people can choose to do whatever they want to do of course. i just like to pro- provide just the facts i'm not mm-hmm. coming at it from a particular point of view you know here are the facts you know mm-hmm. do with it what you will mm-hmm I also um, noticed that 
you do you still own an IV drip company? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we're just about to launch the IV drip company. Um, That's what it's going to be called. We, it's going to be called Health Span. Um, Health Stand and Health, uh, and then Span S P A N. Okay. Um, and what it is, the whole purpose of IVs for mm-hmm. me is this: um, a lot of there are a number of people who cannot, uh, because of their uh, body makeup and all those kinds of things, cannot uh, take vitamins orally. And mm-hmm. so this is an alternative uh, to that. So okay. essentially it bypasses, you know, your mm-hmm. liver goes directly uh, into your system. So you can do an IV that regenerates you because you're just extremely exhausted, as I am often from traveling <laughs> across the world. Gee, no kidding. Um, <laughs> With all the everything you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you can do that. You can do a vitamin drip that's strictly like, for example, vitamin C. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do B12 shots, though not. I don't like to do IV shots, though they're available. I'm not convinced as to their mm-hmm. efficacy. Um, oh, interesting. So we just, but yeah, we just go with the traditional uh, shots for that. Uh, so the, the whole point with the IV. Our drip company is that it rejuvenates everything that you do. I yeah, mean, your it, it really is, does. It does, and and you know, and vitamins. What vitamins? It takes so long to break down, and by the mm-hmm. time it gets to where it's supposed to get to, you're probably only getting about forty percent anyway. So, yeah. which is why I prefer the IV drips. Um, now on your vitamin C like on on your vitamin C drip, what um, dosage are you, you using? It depends. We what we do is we do a complete makeup of the person, uh, a complete okay. a, a complete kind of medical uh, makeup first, because okay. I want to make sure that it's right for them before mm-hmm. I do it. Unlike most places where you come in, you stick your arm out with the, you know, they put the needle in you and they trip. I, I don't like to do that because mm-hmm. I, it just doesn't work. And, and so I, I do a whole workup um, to, to my team does a whole workup to, to see, you know, what's best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I avoid too is I avoid <laughs> what I call the cereal drippers Um you know, there's some people who would say, um, well, you know, I want to get three IV drips a week. No, <laughs> not just, mm-hmm. it's not, it makes no sense. Yeah. It, it's, it's just, you know, they, their sense as to what it's going to do is just not right. And so mm-hmm. I'm not going to participate in that. Yeah. Yeah, unless they have some, you know, serious medical condition mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. warrants warrants that yes. three times a week, you're not going to yeah. get it. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's why I do the work up too, because yeah. I want to know, yeah. you know, uh, what's uh, 
what's 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 really going on. I know that they've increased in price as a result of the. Uh, uh, yeah. I guess it's it's more difficult to to get the actual vitamin C now. Um, it is. Well, it's it's different for me because um, I have uh, what's known as a clean pharmacy. Um, and what that means is I can actually make the product in my pharmacy. The way that this came out is the FDA said um, people are having um, a difficult time getting certain drugs. Mm-hmm. And so as a result of that, we will come uh, to you. Uh, we, will, we will essentially say, okay, you know what? Um, this company, we've gone to them. They're certified in, in the way that this should be done, and they can then make the particular drug. So I can actually manufacture everything that goes into um, the, the drip bag uh, in the clone pharmacy. So therefore, it oh, keeps excellent. my cost much lower. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so yeah, it keeps it and, much and lower. And you know, and you know what you're putting into those IVs as well. Exactly. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. You know, sometimes you buy these bags, and I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, um, yeah, yeah, boy, doesn't anyway. look so great. Yeah. So it'll be yeah, called Health Span, and it'll be in Los yeah. Angeles. We have well, more than one location, we're gonna, or yeah, we're going to start off in Florida, and the reason oh, we're start okay. off in Florida. Yeah, we're going to go across the country, but we're going to start East Coast first, okay. um, largely because uh, Florida is an interesting place, uh, like LA, um, for you know the people who want to do um, health, beauty kind of stuff. So we have actually a sports team that we're going to start off doing okay. um, drips for the members of that sports team. And oh, uh, we'll see how that goes, and then we'll start. Okay. Uh, well, that's expand. smart. That's very smart. Yeah, we try, yeah, yeah. We try to be strategic about the things that we do and, and mm-hmm. how we approach them rather than just, you know, because in Florida, I mean, you – on almost every corner, you see someone dancing with a sign, get your IV drips here. Um, really? And, oh, God, yeah. It's a big, big thing in Florida. Um, and, oh, I had no idea. Oh, I hope they don't spoil, I hope they don't spoil it for everybody. <laughs> well, yeah, and here's the thing. A lot of them, um, you know, are saying, okay, well, we can beat the price. Well, if you see an IV drip for under a hundred dollars, uh-huh. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> um, you know, it just because there, there's something wrong. Because the water, the biggest thing with IV drips is not really the um, the the vitamin itself, but the water and the bags. 
Um, Mm -hmm. So the sterile water is very difficult to come by, largely because hospitals use sterile water so much. There's Mm -hmm. a national shortage of sterile water and the bats. So Mm -hmm. you got to be able to, and that's really where your costs are. Um, And so that's, that's, a large part of the the difficulty from a supply standpoint. Interesting. Huh. You think we would have solved that relatively quickly yeah. through manufacturing? <laughs> you but would think so. You think so, it. huh? But it's not so. Yeah. Ah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I'm I'm an advocate of the IV drips. Uh, you know, I've I've been um, doing them for probably ten, fourteen years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, only usually yeah. only when I'm sick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. Um, because uh, it That's just seems time. to it seems to get me over the hump of it. Well, you know, if it's the flu yeah. or sinus infection or whatever, it really takes me back to a level where I can feel halfway normal for, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, you can function. It, it, really, yeah. it really does. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, it's Absolutely. just been a, a delight um, talking with My you. My pleasure talking with you. I really, really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, like I said, please do come back. Uh, at some point early next year when you have the time and we'll talk about your latest um, book and the name of that book yeah completely let's tell the audience what they can Divided We Stand The Mm -hmm. Quest for America's Soul okay wonderful you're wonderful thank you so much Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Conclude our show for today. Thank you so much for joining in. It's been quite enlightening. Until next Wednesday, please be well. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.health.com medianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! <sniffs> and this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash... Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. This episode is made possible by PwC. 
A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com.